0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the Word of God. Lord, we know that each and every one of us do find ourselves in places where we are weary. But Lord, we thank you for the Savior who is God. We thank you for the call of our sovereign in the gospel. That from time immemorial, before time began, you purposed A way to redeem us. A way to forgive us. A way to reconcile us. And Heavenly Father, I pray that as we search the scriptures, as we were told, Lord, as we see in every chapter, in every verse, our Savior, Lord, I pray that we would continue to love you and obey you and serve you. Lord, we know that sometimes we try to silence the accusations of an accusing conscience by laying the blame for sin on something other than ourselves. Lord, the only reason why we're saved is because of you. And the only reason why we're lost (laughs) is because of us. And so again, Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your willingness to redeem us. In Jesus' name, Amen. We continue with Messiah's mission in chapter 50. And we're going to basically break down the the chapter into three sections. And again, from verse 1, the cause of our separation from God. Verses 2 through 9, the coming of our Savior who is God. And verses 10 and 11, the call of our sovereign in the gospel. So beginning in verse 1, I'll just read the whole chapter. Thus says the Lord. Where is the certificate of your mother's divorce? Whom have I put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? For your iniquities you've sold yourselves, and for your transgressions your mother has been put away. Why, when I came, was there no man? Why, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke I dry up the sea, I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stink because there's no water, and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with blackness, and I make sackcloth their covering. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak. A word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear us, the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear. And I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord God will help me therefore I will not be disgraced therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I will not be ashamed he is near who justifies me who will contend with me let us stand together who is my adversary let him come near to me surely the Lord God will help me who is he who will condemn me indeed they will all grow old like a garment the moth will eat them up Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of his servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand you shall lie down in torment. We continue with the Messiah's mission. It was Warren Wiersbe who tells the story of of going into a friend's office and as he would walk into the office, there was a plaque on the wall and the plaque read, The world is full of people who want to serve in an advisory capacity. A lot of people want to be a consultant. Jesus did not come to the earth with good advice. He came with good news. Sinners can be forgiven. The gospel is good news for us, but guess what? The very good news that is news for us is bad news for the Savior because it means that He has to come in human form. He has to suffer and He has to die. And so this is the great stumbling block. Both for the Jew and the Gentile and the opening history, if you will, of Christianity, the big stumbling block was why a suffering Messiah? Isaiah has described nine things about the Messiah's mission to the world. That's what we looked at the last time. I'm going to quickly remind you, number one, the Messiah would be called God's servant. Remember in chapter 49, verse 4, the Messiah would proclaim God's word. That's number two, sending it forth like an arrow. Remember, wounding, convicting people for their own good so that they would be aware of their sin and that they would cry out for a savior. And number three, he would be called God's servant, the new Israel. He would do what Israel wouldn't do and couldn't do. And number four, he would live a life of total trust complete dependence upon the Lord. And the results would seem discouraging in the beginning of his ministry. That's what we learn in John chapter 1, verse 11. Remember, he came into his own, but his own received him not. The Messiah would place his ministry in the Lord God's hands. And number five, he would redeem and return Israel back to God. The Lord would strengthen him and greatly honor the Messiah, enlarging his mission. And number six, the Messiah would not be simply a Messiah to the Jew. He would be the Messiah to the Gentiles, to the whole world. And number seven, the Messiah would be called to suffer, that he would be despised and rejected by the people. And number eight, the Messiah would also be honored and exalted and called Lord by rulers and citizens of, the, of and kings and queens. And number nine, he would... Himself be God's covenant. He himself would be God's pledge that God would fulfill his promise to the people. In chapter 49, the Lord assures the people of his love. Isaiah compares the Lord to a compassionate mother in in chapter 49, verses 14 through 23. And then he compares the Lord to a courageous warrior. In chapter 49, verses 24 through 26, and then now in chapter 50, in the beginning of the chapter, he compares the Lord to a constant lover, a person who's going to stand with the children of Israel through thick and through thin. And so, in verse 1, it says, Thus says the Lord. Where is the bill of your mother's divorcement whom I have put away? Or which of my creditors is it to whom I have sold you? Behold, for your iniquities you've you've sold yourselves. And for your transgressions, your mother is put away. Now, think carefully for a moment. Remember what I've told you over and over again. The context of Isaiah in this particular instance is the children of Israel will be taken to Babylon... The temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. Judea is destroyed. And so they find themselves on the bank of the river, completely in their mind and in their way of thinking, forgotten and forsaken by God. They feel like a woman who's been abandoned by her husband. Now remember, Moses allowed for divorce in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. In the ancient culture, a woman could be abandoned for any reason and no reason. And because she could be abandoned for any reason or or no reason, God allowed Moses to command a bill of divorcement so that a woman wouldn't be left high and dry. We sometimes think of divorce in the wrong way. Divorce is a merciful concession to execution. You see, In cases of sexual immorality and infidelity in the Old Testament, when a spouse disobeyed God and was guilty of inappropriate relations, the sentence was death. But a lot of husbands and a lot of wives couldn't bring themselves to kill their spouse. And divorce became a kind of merciful concession. God indeed divorced the northern kingdom and allowed it to be absorbed into the Assyrian kingdom. But Isaiah is going to continue to reveal Messiah's mission. The Messiah has come. And basically, even though they're feeling forgotten and forsaken, he's asking them, where's the bill of divorce? Where's your proof that I have let you down? Where is the proof that I've abandoned you? That's what he's saying. The Lord will liberate them from their captivity the Lord's redemption is contrasted and then compared with the love of a forgiving husband. Remember, the children of Israel were guilty of grievous, repetitive infidelity in the form of serious idolatry, serious disobedience. And in the midst of that profound, persistent sin, God says, No, I'm not through with you yet. By the way, in the ancient world, it wasn't uncommon to sell a wife or to sell children to satisfy creditors so that a debt could be paid. But why in the world would the Lord sell them in order to satisfy some debt? Why would the Lord... Abandon them. And by the way, that becomes the point. The Lord is not going to abandon them. Like I said in the prayer, a lot of people try to uh, silence the accusation of an accusing conscience by laying the blame for their sin and their sorrows at at the feet of divine sovereignty. We, we sometimes come to the wrong conclusion. Well, we're, we're in the circumstances we find ourselves in because God is sovereign and it's His will. It's God's will that my husband left me. It's, it's God's will that my wife abandoned me. It's God's will that I've lost my job. It's God's, it's God's will. It's God's will. No, typically when we find ourselves in circumstances of pain and sorrow, it's because of our own rebellion and it's because of our own disobedience. We bail out of our marriage at the first sign of trouble or pain or betrayal. When men divorced their wives, they gave them a bill of divorcement, proof that the marriage was over. And the Lord says, I have given you no such bill. You keep saying you're forgotten and forsaken. What evidence do you have that you are forgotten or forsaken? God repeatedly reached out to them to be reconciled to him now I want you to understand something as God repeatedly reaches out to them to be reconciled to him what was their response no thanks we're pretty much content to live our lives apart from you um no no thanks They continued in their sinful, adulterous ways, refusing to repent, refusing to return. And you have to understand something. The Lord always had the power to redeem his people, the power to rescue them, the power to deliver them from their captors. They're not in Babylon because God has somehow failed them, that he's become weak in his old age. Over and over again, God has proved his power in history when he dried up the Red Sea in Exodus chapter 14, when he dries up the Jordan River. And so that's what it means when he basically says in in chapter 50, when he says, why, when I came, was there no man? I've repeatedly come to you, but no one responded. Why, when I called, was there none to answer? Is my hand shortened at all that it cannot redeem, or have I no power to deliver? Indeed, with my rebuke, I dry up the sea. I make the rivers a wilderness, their fish stink because there's no water, and die of thirst. He's pointing them back to the time of the Red Sea and the crossing of the Jordan, God is the God, the supernatural God who occupies eternity, who can make a whole waterway disappear and watch the fish rot on the dry land because God has given them a provision. That's part of the point. The Lord's divorced us. He sold us. But the facts are they forsook God and they sold themselves into bondage. And here's the lesson for us the same is true of us our troubles in this world typically are the results of our own disobedience and unbelief that seems awfully insensitive and harsh see you're laughing because you understand what I'm saying it sounds insensitive and harsh but but you know what the tragedy is it's true I wish I could say to you that the problems that I have are because of my wife or because of my children or because of you. A congregation that won't obey and won't submit to God and so I bring out my little pastor's staff and I clunk you over the head. Is that an effective way to get you to change? You know what I've discovered? Wagging an accusing finger. And condemning a person's rebellion and disobedience is very, very, very easy to do. You know what's really hard to do? It's hard to live a life of grace and mercy. It's hard to live a life of love and constant grace and constant mercy, where instead of exposing people's sins, you're reminding them of a gracious God, a good God who loves them, who's willing to accept their forgiveness, constantly reminding that they can turn and that they don't have to live that way anymore. That's the point. We must never charge God with that which is the result of our own depravity and our own guilt and our own unbelief. We cry out, God, why is this happening to me? And, and, and we rarely hear the voice. Um, you pretty much did this to yourself. But we know intuitively that it's true. in chapter 50 verse 2 he says when why when i came was there no man why when i called was there no one to answer he's basically saying over and over and over again i've extended the invitation How can people say that they're forgotten or forsaken when the Lord describes himself as a compassionate mother, a courageous warrior, a constant lover? The Lord God is faithful to his word, even when we are unfaithful. Remember, in the Bible, God didn't forsake Adam. Adam forsook God. God didn't leave Israel. Israel left God. Guess what? If you're empty and alone, did God leave you? That's not his MO. That's not what God does. In Second Timothy chapter two, verses eleven through thirteen, Paul writes to Timothy, literally on his deathbed. He's awaiting execution. He writes the last thing that we possess of Paul's writings. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because he cannot deny himself. The Lord won't deny himself. And look at verse 4. It says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. Remember, there are Four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Two servant songs have already been sung. We looked at chapter 42, verses 1 through 7. The second song was chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Now there's a third song, and this is a song that was sung. The suffering of the servant is vividly described. And when we go to the fourth song, that's going to be in chapter 52, um, verse 12. From, from Isaiah 52:12 12, all the way to Isaiah 53:12. And we're, we're, we're told not only how the Messiah suffers, but why his suffering becomes necessary. And by the way, in this section of Isaiah, four times the Lord uses the, the phrase, the Lord God. See if you can find them. The, the expression, the Lord God, is two Hebrew words, Jehovah Adonai. It can be translated, sovereign God. Many translations have it, the Lord God, but it may mean God, the owner of every member of the human race. So when it says the sovereign God or the Lord God, he's reminding the world that he is the sovereign owner of every person who ever born. His mind is so again, the emphasis is going to be on the servant's submission To the Lord God, the sovereign owner of humanity. The servant, remember, is the Messiah. His mind is submitted to the Lord so he can learn both the work and the will of God. That's what it means in verse 4. The servant's will is also submitted like, like an open ear to the one who hears the master's voice. So he has an open head and an open heart ready to hear what God has to say. And so now the servant speaks. The Lord God, Jehovah Adonai, has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak. Do you know what it means? The servant, the Messiah, is taught by God the Father. He doesn't go to advanced rabbi school to get advanced degrees in wisdom, wisdom. So again, the Lord God gives him the ability to speak. Now, again, there's some debate. Well, does this mean a lack of formal education? Possibly. Remember what the New Testament reveals about Jesus? Well, what, Rabbi, what, what rabbinical school did you go to, Jesus? I, I, don't, I don't remember seeing you at any of the rabbinical schools. And when I walk into your office, I don't see a certificate of ordination. Where exactly did you get your credentials? Well, morning by morning, he listened to the Father. That's what Isaiah is doing. He's giving us a sneak peek. And by the way, that's exactly what's confirmed in the New Testament. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says concerning Jesus. Now in the morning, having, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and he departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. When other people were, were sleeping, guess what Jesus did. He got up and he had conversations with his father. By the way, when you get up early and you open up your Bible and you have conversations with your father, your father's going to speak to you and he's going to tell you amazing things. And every once in a while, you're going to come across family and friends and people and you're going to remember what you read in the Bible and you're going to repeat it to them and they're going to say stuff like, wow, that was pretty stinking smart. Where did you come up with that? In the Bible. He who would be great among you, let him be the servant of all. Wow, what a clever thing to say. Who said that? Jesus. Who are the weary? You know who they are. The tired, the exhausted, the downtrodden. Look what it says again in verse 4. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned. That means he's taught by the Father. That I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. You know, I'm really not competent to counsel you. I don't have advanced degrees in psychology. What you need is a person who is trained in this particular area. Now, don't get me wrong. What He is saying in this particular instance is that God the Father has taught him what to say in every circumstance and how to speak to the weary. And who are they? Remember, this is the downtrodden. This is the person who says, I can't go on. I can't take another step. This is the traumatized, the unhappy, the discontented, the disgusted, the overworked, the oppressed, Those who are being seduced by sin. Those who face constant temptation. Those who are suffering hardship. Those who are experiencing misfortune. Those who are battling to be accepted through their works. Those who are in the grip of idolatry. Those who labor in the field of false religion. Have I led anyone out? How can he talk to him? How do you talk to people under pressure? How do you talk to people who are stressed out? How do you talk to people who have unbearable burdens? Do you remember what Jesus says? Come to me. Matthew 12. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Think of all the counselors you've ever talked to. Think of all of the therapists, helpers psychiatrists, counselors, pastors and think of just the one time that you spent with Jesus and how you talked to him and how you prayed to him and how you laid your burden down before him and the power of God surrounded you and the Holy Spirit came upon you and the Lord comforted you because he is the Lord Jesus can bear your burden Jesus can manage your stress. Now, I want you to think just for a moment what I just said. Jesus bears your burden. Jesus manages your stress. And for the unbeliever, for the wicked unbeliever who's listening to my voice at this very time, they're thinking, that's just a bunch of malarkey. That's just words. I mean, Jesus isn't here. How do you talk to Jesus? I mean, I need to go to my therapist. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that you can't go to a counselor and you can't get help under uh, under, under certain circumstances. But here's what I am trying to tell you. Can the real God and can the real person of Jesus Christ supernaturally intervene in your life and make a provision for you? You know what? The answer is yes. So much so that I'm going to say something that's going to seem outrageous. The least competent believer is able to give more hope than the most competent unbeliever. You want to know why? Because the Bible says that God is the source of hope. The Bible says that the promises of God are the source of hope. The Bible says that it is the word of God that is the source of hope. How can an unbeliever give you hope when they've never experienced it themselves? The Lord God has just the right words to speak. The Lord has just the right words to share with us, to sustain us. And again, it seems to indicate in the text that the Lord woke Jesus up morning by morning and gave Him the exact words that needed to be spoken. We've been learning about that on Sunday, haven't we? Remember in John chapter 5, verse 19, then Jesus answered and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. In John chapter 5, verse 30, I can do nothing of Myself as I hear I judge and My judgment is righteous because I do not seek My own will but the will of the Father who sent Me. So, look again in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 5. Look what it says The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. Who had a closed ear, and who was rebellious? The children of Israel. They closed their ear, they were rebellious they were disobedient but guess what the Messiah the servant will open his ear he will not be rebellious by the way in the ancient world of Israel a slave couldn't be kept longer than six years in Exodus chapter 21 verse 2 sometimes people could sell themselves as indentured servants in order to satisfy a a debt but you couldn't do it longer than six years A slave had the option of becoming what was known as a bond slave. This was a slave by choice. If a person preferred to remain with their master, do you know what they would do? They would place their head on the doorway and they would place their earlobe on the door and they would take an awl, like a spiked instrument with a hammer. And they would sort of give him pierced ears. And he would place the piercing through the ear. And they would hang a gold ring from that ear. And that indicated that that person was a slave by choice. That they willingly and voluntarily entered into a lifelong relationship of submission to the master. And it became an idiomatic expression for opening up the ear. He, they, he made the slave. The slave made a choice. It became a type and a symbol. The type and the symbol is my ear is open to listen to what you say. And that's the type and the picture of the Messiah. His ear is open. Jesus is a slave by choice he's a willing slave he does so to please his father in John chapter 8 verse 29 it says and he who sent me is with me the father has not left me alone for I always do the things that please him And look at verse 6. Isaiah chapter chapter 50 verse 6. I gave my back to those who struck me. And my cheeks to those who plucked out my beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. You would have to be blind. And deaf. And dumb. To not see the significance of that scripture. What is that? It's a messianic prophecy. Who do you know? who gave his back to be struck and his cheeks so that his beard could be plucked. Who do you know who was spit in the face? You sing about it. He bore the cross. So much love. Jesus offered his back to be scourged. You all know how it happened. He was beaten with a flagellum. A flagellum is a cat of nine tails. It's it's a stick with... With nine pieces of leather, and at the end of the pieces of leather are bits of bone and glass and sometimes metal. And with the flagellum, they would hit the back, and after hitting a person five or six times, you know what would happen? The the muscles in the back would turn red, and they would become inflamed. And engorged with blood. After about the seventh or the eighth time, the flesh itself would begin to to rip open, exposing the nerves and sometimes the internal organs. Many people died just from the beating. He gave his back to those who struck me. And my my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. It's painful, painful. I did not hide my face from shame and, and spitting. The raw flesh exposed nerves ripped open cheeks. Later we're going to learn in Isaiah chapter 53 that he is so disfigured that he can't even be recognized as a human being. He spit upon. By the way, you know what I learned? That in an ounce of spit There are millions and millions of germs. By the way, do you think when someone spits in your face that germs is what is on your mind? No. It's not just germs. It is the humiliation. The question you need to ask is this. Why does the suffering servant do this? Why does Jesus do this? The answer is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. You know how it goes. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, when you get to the part where it says, author and finisher of our faith, and then you get to the part who says, who for the joy that was set before him, the joy in that text is you. You are the joy. In chapter 12, verse 2, you are the joy. It was for the joy of seeing you in heaven. It was for the joy of seeing your sins forgiven. It was for the joy of seeing you redeemed. It was for the joy of seeing you saved. It was for the joy of growing and maturing. It was for the joy that meant your deliverance, your salvation, your redemption. All of the stuff that the Bible talks about that you get in Jesus, that's why he did this. Think about it. Here's what the Bible teaches. He saw you. And when he saw you, he said, I'll go through with it. I'll do it. I will take the embarrassment. I will take the humiliation. I will take the pain. Because I want you. I love you. I want to see you. Forgiven and redeemed. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 17, it says, That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. Here's the understanding of the suffering servant, the Messiah, who cares for you because you're weary. Jesus suffers for the weary. Jesus suffers for the person who can't take another step. Jesus suffers for the person who can't go on. Jesus suffers for the person who can't catch their breath because their husband or their wife has left them. Jesus suffered for the person who has lost their child. Jesus did this. He died on the cross. He willingly gave himself as a ransom. He suffered as our substitute in our place, on our behalf. You know what's the most shocking thing? is that people continue to spit in this face. Can you imagine? That's really what's happening. I don't care. I don't care what the Bible says. I don't care what Isaiah says. I don't care what Matthew, Mark, and Luke says. I don't care what kind of descri- graphic description you give me. Uh, uh, yes, I saw uh, The Passion by Mel Gibson. I cried a little bit, but then I got over it. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore I say to you, every sin, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. But for the blasphemy against the Spirit, that will not be forgiven. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It means, in part, to resist and then reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit concerning Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes upon a person and says to them, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus will forgive you. It's that subtle knocking that you hear inside of your heart every time you hear a message and you're drawn by the Holy Spirit and you shut the door and you shut the door and you shut the door and one day you will shut the door and it And the knock will never come again. When will that happen? I don't know. In Isaiah chapter 50 verse 7 it says, For the Lord God will help me. Therefore I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Chapter 50 verse 7 is repeated in the New Testament. Remember from... Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 32, it says that he set his face like a flint towards Jerusalem. Remember he says, he says, if any man come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Remember the question? Where are you going, Jesus? You said, follow me. Where are you going? I'm going to Jerusalem. What are you going to do once you get there? I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be beaten, I'm going to be killed. I think I have other things to do. I think I'll go in the opposite direction. But Jesus won't be disgraced. Look what he says for the Lord God will help me. The Lord will empower him and strengthen him. To complete the mission. That's what the suffering servant does. He remains steadfast in the mission. Humiliation, rejection, pain does not deter him from the mission. He will remain steadfast. He will remain the obedient servant. Whatever failure, whatever shame Jesus experiences, he will not, he will not, it will not include the failure and the shame of a failed mission. He will accomplish his goal. Look at verse 8. He is near who justifies me. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near me. The Lord is saying, He is near who justifies me. The Father will justify the Son. The Lord God will make good on His promise. Who will contend with me? Who will argue Jesus out of the mission? I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested, tried. I'm going to be killed. Peter goes, not so, Lord. Not so. Remember Jesus' response, get behind me, Satan. Who will contend with him? The devil. They'll tempt him and test him and try to keep him from dying for you, but it's not going to help. Let us stand together. Who is my adversary? Do you know who his adversary is? Anyone who resists and rejects him in his mission. Let him come near to me. Look at verse 9. Surely the Lord God will help me. Who is you who will condemn me? Indeed, they all grow old like a garment. The mob will eat them up. In Christ's trial on the earth, he was falsely accused. He's falsely condemned what happened to Pilate? He was removed from his office. According to legend, he was reassigned by Tiberius to a lake village in Switzerland. Where he died. Constantly washing himself over and over and over again. What happened to Caiaphas and Annas? What happened to all of the people who opposed him? Dust. Dust. Verse 9. Like an old garment, the moth will eat them up. The Savior's accusers are like a dirty old rag that simply falls apart with age. They're not going to last. And then they face the judgment of God. In Isaiah 53 verse 4. Later, Isaiah will write, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. And then he gives some final words for the weary. Look at verses 10 and 11. Who among you fears the Lord? Who obeys the voice of His servant? Who walks in darkness and has no light? Here's what he says. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. Now listen carefully to what's saying. Who among you fears the Lord? Remember who he's talking to. The weary, the dejected, the downcast, the depressed, the people who can't go on. What do you say to them? Fear the Lord. What does that mean? Does that mean like I'm terrified that God might show up? No. It means a reverential awe. It's a willingness to, in humility, submit to him. It is to reverentially worship him and defer to him who obeys the voice of his servant. The only person who can obey the voice of his servant is the person who's willing to listen to the words of his servant. And by the way, all of the documents in the New Testament that are written and read... For those of you who have a red-letter edition, those are the words of the sermon, but it goes beyond that. Because we know every word of God, every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God is for life and love and for hope. It's for forgiveness and cleansing and redemption. Who is it? Who, is, who obeys the voice of His servant? The person who listens to the servant. Who walks in darkness and has no light? The weary, the downcast, the person who feels forgotten and forsaken. Jesus shows up and gives them life. Let him trust in the name of the Lord and rely upon his God. That seems so superficial. Are are you saying, take two scriptures and call me in the morning? No. No, I'm actually saying exactly the opposite. I'm saying that it's going to take a great deal of courage for you to listen to what God says about your circumstances. It's going to take a great deal of courage for you to stop blaming everyone else for your sin and start taking responsibility for your own wickedness or your own evil or your own unbelief. Many people want to avoid making a decision about Jesus. But you have to decide. He doesn't leave you a choice. He makes you decide about Him. He shows up day after day and week after week and month after month in the Bible, in your dreams, when you come to church, there is Jesus constantly saying, what are you going to do about me? I'm glad a long time ago I made the decision hey, you know what? I'm just going to believe you. I'm going to accept you and believe you and submit to you. The Lord demands that people fear and obey the Lord. Fear and obey the Word of God. And then the Scripture dramatically points out two words of warning. Number one, the person who walks in darkness trusts the Lord and should persevere in Him. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, And you will be hated by all for My name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. John 6:28 Then they said to him, "What shall we do that we may work the works of God?" John chapter 6 verse 29 Jesus answered and said, "This is the work of God that you believe the person that God has sent." That's the Messiah. In John 15:9 it says, "As the Father loved me, so have I loved you." Think about that. Jesus says, Just like the Father loved me, that's how I have loved you. Abide in my love. The word abide is the Greek word "meno," and it means to dwell. It means to make that your permanent place that you live. It doesn't mean that it is a tent or it's a trailer park. It's temporary. It means this is the permanent place. And then look what it says in verse 11. Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourself with sparks. Walk in the light of your fire, and in the sparks you have kindled. This you shall have from my hand. You shall lie down in torment. You're probably going, what in the world does that mean? Let me help you. In the Old Testament, there were two brothers named Nadab and Abihu. They were priests. And they walked in the light of their own fire. As a matter of fact, in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it talks about how they presented strange fire to the Lord. Really what this is, it's a person who says, I don't need Jesus and I don't need God. I don't need Jesus and I don't need God's light. Guess what I'll do? I'll have my own light. And so when it says, Look, all you who kindle a fire, who encircle yourselves with sparks, who walk in the light of your fire and in the sparks you have kindled. I want to just walk in my own light and live in my own light. I want to trust what I'm thinking and I want to trust what I'm doing. This is the person who's self-reliant and self-sufficient. This is the person who says... Look, I'm going to just take my chances on myself. I don't need anyone. I don't need a fairy tale savior to save me. This is the self-reliant person. This is the self-sufficient person. What's going to happen to him? You shall lie down in torment. What are you what are you saying? This is a picture of eternal punishment. The person who rejects, who repels, who pushes Jesus away and remains in unbelief. If you don't believe me, read Matthew 25, verse 46. This is Jesus' own words. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. On my radio program today, somebody asked me, "Well, is it possible that people will be released out of hell for good behavior, maybe after a million or a billion years, that the fires, the purging, the tormenting, it'll just pretty much come to an end?" Matthew 25:46, and these will go away to everlasting punishment. The punishment lasts as long as the eternal life lasts. Even though it's translated "everlasting punishment." It's the exact same word that's translated eternal in life. It could just as easily be translated everlasting life. The Lord is faithful. The Lord is faithful to chasten when we disobey or rebel. That's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. But guess what? He's also faithful to forgive repent and confess he's faithful the servant's message to the Gentiles was one of hope and blessing he would deal with his people (laughs) Jesus is a voluntary slave he's a consecrated and obedient slave he's a persevering and a faithful slave he gives us back to the smiters He gives his cheeks to those who plucked off the hair. He gave his face to shame and to spitting. And when we realize that the sufferer who spoke those words is God himself, then you should be overwhelmed. If you kindle a fire of self-righteousness, God will leave you to walk in the light that you created for yourself. If you gather and heap the sparks of this world, God will leave you to the flickering matches. And you'll lie down in sorrow. But it doesn't have to be that way. The rest of the song next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we want to sing a song of joy. Lord, we want to sing a song of gladness. Lord, we want to sing a song of perseverance. Lord, there are people who are weary. They're weary. They're they're tired. They don't know if they can take one more step. They don't know if they can bear one more insult. They don't know if they can put up put up with even just one more thing. But Lord, I pray that you would remind them that you haven't forgotten them and you haven't forsaken them. Where's the proof? Where's the proof that God has let you down? Lord, we don't want to forget you. We want to remind ourselves, Lord, that you are faithful even when we are faithless. Lord, we pray that we would lean upon you, trust you, submit to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. If you forget everything else, remember what I said to you. You are the joy that was set before Him. That's why He did it. That's why He suffered what He suffered. That's why He gave His back and He gave His cheeks and He spilled His blood joy. Lord bless you. Lord make a space to shine upon you. The Lord fill you with a confident expectation that God has caused all things to work together for good in your life. I minister to you even when you're weary. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thanks Clarence.